Section 3 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 9, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mary Beatrice of Modena, Chapter 1, Part 3. James urged the Earl of Peterborough to use all possible diligence to marry and bring home his Italian bride before the approaching session of Parliament, being well aware that attempts would be made to prevent his union with a Roman Catholic princess. The Earl then receiving wings from the commands and interests of his master, set off post for Lyon incognito. He arrived there at the end of three days, fancying, from the care he had taken, to send his equipage and baggage away, under the care of his officers, that he should be entirely unknown. But scarcely had he entered his inn, to repose and refresh himself a little, when the waiter brought him word, there were two gentlemen below, who desired admittance, to speak with him on the part of the Duchess of Modena. He could not possibly refuse to see them, and they delivered a letter to him, signed by one Nardi, who styled himself a secretary, acquainting his excellency, that the Duchess of Modena had heard of his intention to come into these parts, to treat of a marriage with the young princess, but knowing her daughter's inclinations to be entirely against any obligations of that kind, and that she was perfectly settled in the resolution to take upon her a religious life, she thought it reasonable to give him timely information thereof, that the king, his master, and his lordship might avoid committing themselves by pursuing a design which, though very honourable and advantageous to her daughter and the house of Este, was yet impracticable, and could never be brought about. The surprise of the incognito ambassador, on finding his secret had already transpired, was extreme. However, he thought it prudent to appear greatly amazed at the contents of the letter, and to disown to the bearers any concern in the matter, or having any orders to proceed in the business they did surmise. He told them further, that he was a private traveller, who came to satisfy his own curiosity, and his desire of seeing Italy, so there was no occasion for her highness or any others to concern themselves in his motions. The gentleman having departed, the earl immediately gave an account of this strange incident to the king and the Duke of York. Then, reflecting that this marriage, after the failure of the attempts to engage the Duke of York in a matrimonial alliance with either the Duchess of Guise, Mademoiselle Delbeuf, or the princesses of Newburg or Württemberg, had been strenuously recommended by the King of France. He determined to proceed to Turin, and confer with the French ambassador there, who was supposed to direct the affairs of Italy, on the subject, and hear from him what probability there was of ultimate success, if he persevered in the pursuit. When he came to have a private conference with that minister, he found that he had received no orders from France to interfere, but to his infinite surprise, he had had a letter from the Duchess of Modena, wherein she prayed him, that if his lordship came to Turin, and did confer or advise with him on that matter, he would signify to him the impossibility of accomplishing it, which had before been expressed in the letter which his lordship had received at Lyon from Nardi. This second appearance of an adverse proceeding much discouraged the earl, who was in great doubt whether he should make any further advances, but the French ambassador, who believed the king, his master, to be much concerned in bringing it about, advised him to have a little patience, and that, continuing the pretense of a casual traveller, 
he should advance his journey down the Po to an agreeable city, called Plaisance, or Plencia, where he might remain and amuse himself till he had further orders. The Earl took his advice, and repairing to Plencia, lodged himself there as conveniently as he could, under the character of a private traveller. But with all this caution, his person and movements were perfectly known, and the second or third morning after his arrival, the servants informed him that there was a gentleman desired the favour of admittance to him, who came from the Duchess of Modena. This gentleman proved no other than Nardi himself, the writer of the mysterious letters for preventing the offer of the Duke of York, being formally made to the young princess. He had the appearance of an ingenious man, who spoke well, and was practiced in all Italian civilities. His errand was to deliver a letter from the Duchess herself, wherein she wrote, that having heard of his journey in these parts, she thought it incumbent on her, before a great king and his ministers should expose themselves, by demanding that which could not be accomplished, to manifest her reasons. She then recapitulated the substance of Nardi's previous letter to him, and the French ambassador, but added in conclusion, that there were other princesses in her family besides her daughter, to one of whom, if the duke his master thought fit, it was possible that he might be admitted to address himself, and in the meantime, if his lordship would come and divert himself in her court, she should esteem it an honour to receive him, and he should be very welcome. The Earl of Peterborough, who was anything but flattered at the anxiety of the Duchess, to forestall with a refusal, an offer which he, at any rate, had given her no reason to believe would be made, dryly apologised to Her Highness, for the trouble which his coming into those parts seemed to cause her, and thanked her for the honour she did him, for which, however, he assured her there was no cause, seeing he was but a private traveller, without design or orders to disquiet any persons, with pretences that were not agreeable to them. If the Duchess of Modena had really been averse to having the heir of a mighty realm for her son-in-law, she would not have taken the pains she did to watch the motions of the matrimonial agent of the Duke of York. She had been accurately informed of the predilection entertained in favour of her daughter, and in a very early stage of the business, took occasion to discuss the matter with the young princess. Mary Beatrice wanted rather better than two months of completing her fifteenth year. She was tall and womanly in figure, but perfectly unconscious of her charms. For her acquirements, she read and wrote Latin and French. She possessed some taste in painting, and was a proficient in music, which she passionately loved. But of those royal sciences, history and geography, which ought to form the most important part of the education of princes, she knew so little, that when her mother announced to her that she was sought in marriage by the Duke of York, she asked, with great simplicity, who the Duke of York was. Her mother told her, that he was the brother of the King of England, and heir presumptive to that realm. But the princess was not a whit the wiser for this information. She had been so innocently bred, observes James in his journal, that she did not know of such a place as England, nor such a person as the Duke of York. When the Duchess of Modena had sufficiently enlightened the ignorance of the fair young devotee on the subject, by making her fully acquainted with the nature of the matrimonial prospects that awaited her, not concealing the fact that the Duke of York was in his fortieth year, 
Mary Beatrice burst into a passionate fit of weeping, and implored her aunt to marry this royal suitor instead of her, observing with some naivete, that the age of the elder princess of Modena, who was thirty years old, was more suitable to that of a bridegroom of forty than her own, as she was only in her fifteenth year. Mary Beatrice was assured in reply, that the fancied objection of too great juvenility in a girl of her age would be very soon obviated by time, while every day would render a lady of thirty less agreeable to a prince like the Duke of York. This reasoning, however cogent, did not reconcile the youthful beauty to the idea of being consigned to a consort five and twenty years her senior. She wept, and protested her determination to profess herself a nun, and continued to urge the propriety of bestowing her aunt on the Duke of York, instead of herself, so perseveringly that at last she convinced some of the most influential persons in the court of Modena that she was right. These were her uncle, Ronaldo d'Este, who, like the princess her aunt, was the offspring of her grandfather's second marriage with a princess of the house of Parma, and the padre Garambert, her mother the duchess regent's confessor, and in reality her prime minister. This ecclesiastic had been born a subject of Parma, and was exceedingly desirous of obliging that family by promoting the interests of their kinswoman. Garambert, who was called by the Earl of Peterborough a cunning Jesuit, was suspected by those of the cabinet who wished to promote the marriage of the Duke of York with Mary Beatrice, of encouraging her in her determined negation of that alliance. The effects of this undercurrent had appeared in the Duchess, being wrought upon by her spiritual director, first, to plead her daughter's predilection for the vocation of a nun, in order to deter the envoy of the Duke of York from addressing his master's suit to her, and in the next place, to suggest his transferring it to the elder princess. In order to favor this change of persons, sufficient interest had been made with the ruling powers in the court of France, to induce them to use their influence in the favor of the aunt instead of the niece. In the meantime, an express was sent from England to apprise the Earl of Peterborough that the King of France had dispatched the Marquis of Dongu with orders to assist in concluding the matrimonial alliance between England and Modena, but that it was suspected that instead of the young princess, from whom it was supposed all the difficulty arose, was intended to substitute an aunt of hers, who in all manner of circumstances was inferior to her, and for divers considerations unsuitable for the Duke of York. This sudden change in the affair greatly mortified the Earl, whose head turned round under this variety of circumstances. A few days after came Nardi again, with more compliments from the Duchess and open declarations, of the pleasure it would give her and her court if the honour which it was supposed was intended for her daughter could be transferred to another princess in the family. The Earl of Peterborough, who was determined, if he could not have the youngest and fairest, he would take neither, stood in his first pretense, that he came to Italy for his own pleasure, that he had no orders on the subject her highness mentioned, and that his sojourn in that neighborhood was only caused by a little indisposition, and concluded with his duty and humble thanks to the Duchess for the honor she did him. A fresh express from England informed the Earl of the approach of the Marquis d'Angou, empowered by the King of France to use his utmost influence to obtain the young Mary Beatrice for the Duke of York, and none other, 
and if his mediation failed, then he was to return to Paris without further delay. A week after this, the Marquis arrived, and undertook to reason with the Duchess on the subject, having formerly had some acquaintance with her, when, as one of Cardinal Mazarin's nieces, she resided in France. He was a clever, eloquent man, well-versed in the arts of courts, and so clearly demonstrated to the princes of Este their true interest in obliging the king, his master, and contracting, at the same time, the powerful alliance of England, that all the court and council were persuaded, with the single exception of Father Garambert, who did all he could to encourage the young princess in her aversion, and to dissuade the duchess from yielding her consent. However, the advantage of the connection, having been once clearly represented to the duchess, all objections were presently overruled. The Marquis of Dangu then wrote to the Earl of Peterborough that he might now advance to Modena, where his addresses would be honorably received. The Duchess also wrote to the same effect, and gave him a most respectful invitation to her court, assuring him that the only difficulty that now remained was to obtain a dispensation from the Pope for the celebration of the marriage of a Catholic princess with a prince not openly declared of that religion. The Duke of York had afforded sufficient proof of his devotion to the Church of Rome by the sacrifice of his power, his influence in the state, together with the vast income which he had hitherto derived from the high offices he held, rather than do violence to his conscience, by taking the test which had been devised by the Republican Party in Parliament to deprive the country of his services. Yet as he had made no public profession of reconciliation to the Church of Rome, the Pope took the present opportunity of giving him every annoyance. The Earl of Peterborough, suspecting that the marriage might be prevented by an opposition to it from such a quarter, would not make a public entrance into Modena in the first instance, but preserving his incognito, traveled thither as a private person. About a mile from the town, however, he was met by Nardi, the under-secretary of state, with a coach and six, and was conveyed to the palace of one of the chief nobles, brother to the bishop of Modena, of which he was put in possession in the name of the Duchess of Modena. Here, finding he was to be splendidly lodged and entertained at Her Highness's expense, he protested against it, as being contrary to his desire of keeping up his incognito. But Nardi told him that although the Duchess, in compliance with his request, omitted offering him in public the respect that was his due, she was not tied from serving him her own way in all things necessary for his comfort and accommodation. The Abbe Dangu, the Marquis's brother, having been dispatched to Rome to endeavor to negotiate the dispensation for the marriage with the Pope and his favorite nephew, Cardinal Altieri, the Earl of Peterborough was in the meantime admitted to the presence of the Duchess of Modena. He was brought in a private coach to the palace of Nardi, who, by a back way, introduced him into an apartment where he found the duchess standing with her back to a table. The earl approached her with the respect due to a sovereign princess in her own house. She received him with much courtesy, and chairs being set, his lordship entered at once upon the true cause of his coming, observing that he was surprised at finding a difficulty in a thing which the world judged to be so advantageous to all parties. The Duchess excused herself by pleading the aversion her daughter had to a married life, and the great desire she had to be a nun. She said, likewise, that the princess was young, and not of a strong constitution, and that, 
besides the italian princes depending much on the reputation of zeal for the catholic religion there would be difficulties in obtaining a dispensation for an alliance with a prince who was not declared of the same church let the opinion of his true faith be what it would to all these objections the earl replied in such a manner as induced the duchess to declare that he had appeased the greatest difficulties of her own thoughts she added that if the abbe succeeded in obtaining the dispensation she knew not but they might proceed to a happy conclusion this first conversation ended with the earl's requesting to be favored with a sight of the young princess whose possession he had so long thought necessary for his master's happiness and the duchess having promised it for the next evening he retired in the same manner in which he arrived the next day his excellency received advice from the abbe d'angu that great exertions had been made by the french ambassador and also by cardinal barberini and all the friends and allies of the house of este at rome to obtain the dispensation but that the pope was very averse to it and his governing nephew cardinal altieri was violently opposed to it various pretenses were alleged in excuse of this unfriendly proceeding but the true cause was the jealousy of the papal government of the aggrandizement of the house of este lest through an alliance powerful as that of england the duke of modena should be enabled to contest the fair duchy of ferrara and the lands of which the princess of este had been wrongfully deprived by the usurpation of the roman sea in which case it was possible he might be disposed to use other means than prayers and tears to recover his own even from the successors of st peter our stout old cavalier was not a man to be lightly discouraged he had set his heart on bringing home the fairest bride in christendom for his royal friend his spirit rose in proportion to the greatness of the obstacle that was likely to be opposed to the accomplishment of his purpose and determining if possible to bring the matter to a sudden conclusion he renewed his request of being permitted to see the princess that evening he was conducted to the palace at the hour appointed introduced into the duchess's apartment as before and found the young princess with her mother the princess mary of este says he appeared to be at this time about fourteen years of age she was tall and admirably shaped her complexion was of the last degree of fairness her hair black as jet so were her eyebrows and her eyes but the latter so full of light and sweetness as they did dazzle and charm too there seemed given unto them by nature sovereign power power to kill and power to save and in the whole turn of her face which was of the most graceful oval there were all the features all the beauty and all that could be great and charming in any human creature the earl approached her with the respect he thought due to his future mistress and having made her the proper compliments he asked her pardon if he were the means of disturbing her tranquillity and in some sort crossing her inclinations but first from the sight of her picture and now still more so from the view of herself he was convinced it was the only means of making happy a prince whose love when she came to know him would make ample amends to her for anything that she might now regard as a grievance she answered with a little fierceness that she was obliged to the king of england and the duke of york for their good opinion but she could not but wonder why from so many princesses of more merit who would esteem that honour and be ready to embrace it they should persist in endeavouring to force the inclination of one who had vowed herself 
as much as was in her power to another sort of life out of which she never could think she should be happy and she desired his excellency even as he fancied with tears in her eyes if he had an influence with his master to oblige her by endeavouring to avert any further persecution of a maid who had an invincible aversion to marriage princesses there were e now she said in italy and even in that house who would not be unworthy of so great an honour and who from the esteem they might have thereof would deserve it much better than she could however piqued the earl might be at the lofty disdain with which the youthful beauty received his compliments and her earnest endeavours to defend herself from the unwelcome alliance to which he was wooing her he was too able a diplomatist to take any notice of her pointed hint that his master's addresses would be more agreeable and suitable to her aunt than to herself in reply to her passionate rhetoric on the propriety of his allowing her to fulfil that vocation to which it was her desire to devote herself his excellency told her that he begged her pardon if he could not obey her he might have been induced to do so before he saw her but now it was impossible since he could not believe that she was made for other end than to give princes to the world who should adorn it with characters of high virtue and merit that his country had need of such and that he would not hazard the offending her by persisting in his demand since if he did incur her displeasure by it it would be the means of making her one of the happiest princesses in the world the earl complains that for all he could say the princess appeared dissatisfied at his persistence well she might when the plain meaning of his flattering speech simply amounted to this that since she suited the object of his mission it mattered little whether she shuddered at the thought of being torn from her own sunny clime and the sweet familiar friends of her childhood to be transplanted to a land of strangers and consigned to an unknown husband five and twenty years older than herself whose name she had never heard till she was required to plight her vows of conjugal love and obedience to him and that even the alternative of a convent and a veil were not allowed to her who can wonder that a young high-spirited girl under fifteen broke through the conventional restraints whereby princesses are taught from their cradles to control their feelings and endeavoured to avert the dreaded doom that awaited her by telling the ambassador her mind with the passionate and tearful vehemence of a child of nature having done this she maintained an obstinate silence and retired with the duchess her mother the next day the ambassador made a formal complaint of her highness's behaviour to nardi and expressed his dissatisfaction that having been kept on under pretence of dangu's negotiation for the dispensation a much greater difficulty appeared in the aversion so openly expressed by the princess of whose consent he now utterly despaired nardi told him he needed not be under the least concern on that account since the ladies of italy when it came to be in earnest were accustomed to have no will but that of their friends and if her mother were satisfied she would soon be brought to a much more difficult matter than that the earl then reminded the minister that time pressed the meeting of parliament drew near and therefore it was necessary to come to an immediate conclusion or to depart the duchess on being informed of this sent him word the next day that she had greater hopes of the princess's concurrence who had she said been urged by the duke her brother and all about her to consent 
so that she trusted on the arrival of the dispensation he would be satisfied in the meantime the treaty proceeded about the portion which was to be fourscore thousand pounds to be paid at several times with conditions for jointure maintenance and other matters and upon those things which are the rocks and shoals on which other marriages generally split there was no disagreement james notices the extreme reluctance of the young princess to accept his hand which he merely imputes to her desire of devoting herself to a religious life she had at any time says he a great inclination to be a nun insomuch that the duchess her mother was obliged to get the pope to write to her and persuade her to comply with her wish as much conducive to the service of god and the public good there is some difficulty in reconciling this assertion with the following statement which his royal highness's representative the earl of peterborough gives of the unfriendly conduct of the pope in this affair but now at last came from rome the abbot dongu without the dispensation which he could not by any means obtain by reason that the cardinal altieri was inflexible and threats of excommunication were issued against any that should undertake to perform or celebrate the marriage thereupon pursues his excellency we were all upon fears of a total rupture the duchess herself a zealous if not a bigoted woman was in great pain about the part that might seem offensive to his holiness or neglective of his authority and the princess took occasion from hence to support her unwillingness but in truth the cardinal barberini on whom the duchess had great dependence and all the other adherents and relations of the house of este being every day more and more convinced of the honor and interest they were like to find in this alliance were scandalized at the unreasonable obstinacy of the pope and his nephew and did frankly advise the duchess of modena to conclude the marriage at once it being less difficult to obtain forgiveness for it after it was done than permission for doing it the next great difficulty was to find a priest who would in that country venture to perform the ceremony of the espousals in defiance of the interdict of the pope the bishop of modena who was applied to it positively refused but at last a poor english jacobite named white who having nothing to lose and upon whom the terror of excommunication did not so much prevail undertook to do it the princess then at last gave herself up to the will of her friends a day was appointed for this solemnity and the earl had liberty to visit her highness in her own apartment it is much to be regretted that his excellency did not enrich his curious and amusing history of this marriage with a few particulars of his state visit to the reluctant bride-elect and of her reception of him and the costly offering of jewels which he was then empowered to present to her as a love token from her future lord it was not as she herself afterwards declared without floods of tears that she yielded to her mother's commands which she had never before ventured to dispute when a reluctant assent had been thus wrung by maternal authority from poor mary beatrice the earl of peterborough assumed his official character of ambassador extraordinary from the king of england to that court and procurator and proxy for his royal highness james duke of york and albany's marriage with the princess sister to the duke instead however of making a public entrance into modena in consequence of having left his servants and equipage at lyons the earl was not prepared to do 
he was brought in the most honourable manner to his first public audience of the duchess regent and the reigning duke her son by prince rinaldo of este the uncle of the duke and all that were great and noble in that court and indeed continues the earl the ceremony attendants state guards and other appurtenances were in that order and magnificence as might have become a prince of far greater revenues and territories and herein all the marks of sovereignty did appear which are usual with princes who are dependent but of god he delivered his credentials in the usual form to their highnesses and after having made a speech suitable to the occasion retired as he came only instead of being conducted to his coach he was led into a very noble apartment which was appropriated to his use in quality of his office as ambassador extraordinary for the marriage and there he was entertained with the greatest plenty and magnificence entirely at the expense of that generous princess the duchess of modena the marriage treaty was speedily completed some authors have asserted that the portion was furnished by louis the fourteenth but it appears that he merely advanced some part of it as a loan of which he afterwards endeavoured to extort a forcible repayment from the duke of modena when there was a political disagreement between them a few years afterwards mary beatrice was always treated by louis the fourteenth as his adopted daughter probably from the remembrance of early friendship with her mother who as the niece of cardinal mazarin was one of the companions of his childhood all the preliminaries for the marriage now being arranged and the earl of peterborough pressing for his departure the day for the solemnization of the nuptial contract was fixed for the thirtieth of september the noble proxy having prepared his equipage and habit suitable for the occasion was fetched from his lodgings at about eleven o'clock on that morning by the duke of modena in person accompanied by prince rinaldo and all the noblest cavaliers of the court and conducted to a chamber near the chapel where he reposed himself till so much of the service was done as seemed obnoxious to the religion he professed for it is to be noticed that james had not chosen a roman catholic but a member of the church of england for his proxy although it might have involved some inconvenience in an italian court when the mass was over the earl was led into the chapel where the bride expected him and there not only without a dispensation from the pope but in defiance of his interdict was mary of modena married by a poor english priest to the catholic heir of england represented by a proxy of the reformed faith the ceremony that was then performed was designed to use the words of the earl of peterborough for a perpetual marriage between that admirable princess and the duke of york his master in the name of that prince the noble proxy placed the nuptial ring on the finger of the bride this ring she always wore it was set with a fair diamond which she was accustomed to call the diamond of her marriage it was one of the only three jewels of which she did not finally strip herself for the relief of the distressed british emigrants who followed the adverse fortunes of her unfortunate lord but of this hereafter when the spousal rites were over the noble proxy of that unknown consort to whom mary beatrice had with much reluctance plighted her nuptial faith led her by the hand to her apartment where taking his leave he went to repose himself in his own till he was fetched to accompany the princess at the dinner this proceeds our record did succeed about one of the clock 
and as to the ceremony of it it was performed at a long table over the upper end whereof was a rich cloth of state or canopy under which in representation of a bride and bridegroom the earl of peterborough sat with the princess who was now given the title of her royal highness the duchess of york the duke of modena her brother the duchess regent and the other princes of the house of este sitting on either side according to their degrees this dinner was served with all the care and curiosity that was possible for anything of that nature to be contrived what the sea could afford though it was not near and what the rivers and the lakes was there what the land could produce or the air of italy was not wanting and all this was made more excellent by the courtesy and good humour of the princes but it ended at last and all arose in order to a greater liberty of conversation that also had a conclusion for a time and the company for their repose retired to their respective apartments his excellency being conducted to his with the same ceremony as he was brought to dinner the night was dedicated to dancing for there was a ball in honour of the nuptials to which all the beauties of the court resorted it was performed with the order and magnificence suitable to the rest of the entertainments much to the satisfaction of all the guests and spectators the saddest heart there being no doubt that of the beautiful young bride who had made such obstinate and unexampled efforts to defend her maiden freedom her struggles had been fruitless she had been led a powerless victim to the marriage altar her reluctant lips had been compelled to pronounce the irrevocable vow the glittering fetter was on her finger the most solemn rites of her church had been employed to accomplish the sacrifice and all her kindred and her people were rejoicing in festivities which cost her oceans of tears the next day the duke of modena and the earl of peterborough rode in state to the cathedral where a solemn service and te deum were sung in honour of the accomplishment of the marriage two or three days more were spent in triumphant pageants and other testimonials of public rejoicing the manner in which the bridegroom to whom the virgin hand of mary beatrice had thus been plighted received the announcement of the actual solemnization of his state nuptials is thus related by lady rachel vaughan in a lively gossiping letter to lord william russell the news came on sunday night to the duke of york that he was married he was talking in the drawing-room when the french ambassador brought the letter and told the news the duke turned about to the circle and said then i'm a married man his bride proved to be the princess of modena but she was rather expected to be canaples niece she is to have one hundred thousand francs and more they say she has more wit than any woman had before as much beauty and more youth than is necessary the duke of york sent his daughter lady mary word the same night that he had provided a playfellow for her end of section three